Welcome to the Addiction in My Family podcast, dedicated to educate parents and other family members about addiction, codependency, enabling, and recovery with your host, Donna Marston, author of Peeling the Onion and Just for Today. Good afternoon and welcome to Addiction in My Family. This is Donna M., your host, and today I am flying solo. So I thought I would talk about relapse, uh, when sobriety loses its priority. Have you ever tried to give up sugar, cigarettes, or sleeping pills, go on a diet, coffee, or that one after-dinner drink? And every time you tried, you continued to fail. Did you fail because the cravings were horrific and your brain kept telling you, one more cookie won't hurt, one more glass of wine won't hurt. Oh, that sleeping pill, that's fine. I need that to sleep because if I don't sleep, I'll be up all hours of the night. And who wants that? If you answered yes, then you have a bit of a clue what it feels like for your child when he or she has a setback, otherwise known as a slip. Sobriety loses its priority. The journey into recovery from addiction is not typically a straight line from addiction to recovery, A to R. It can be a path of in and out of detox facilities, treatment centers, jail, prison. It is important that parents do not take their child's setback personally. And rather than engaging in toxic behavior, try to figure out how to take care of yourself during that time and how to support your child. It is normal for a parent to work at helping their child to regain their health. However, it's quite often that parents work harder at their child's recovery than the child does, including sacrificing our own wants and needs, not living our lives. Emotional support is difficult. There's fine lines about it, um, it's, and it's difficult to define. There is little consensus on how to define or optionalize emotional support. Some researchers have defined emotional support to include the provision of care, empathy, love, and trust, while others emphasized expressions of encouragement, active listening, reflection, and reassurance. Some researchers have characterized emotional support as a reciprocal interaction. You know, it's a mutual obligation. Two people agree on it. While others have characterized it as solely as a subjective perception of feeling accepted love and respect. So I think it's important to keep in mind that when your child has a setback, a relapse, there are ways that you can emotionally support your son or daughter. You don't have to get all worked up. When My son was on a, in and out of rehabs, and every time he'd come home, my gut would stir. I, I could feel that maybe he wasn't going to make it. And I used to think of myself as Donnie, Donna Downer. You know, here you go again, being negative. But my gut would just gnaw at me. And eventually... I was right. It would, it would be within days, sometimes months, that I'd figure it out and he'd admit to it. Or the signs were so prevalent that even if he didn't admit to it, I knew that it was a problem and he was back using. And here we go on that emotional roller coaster ride again. And it just, it was horrible. And, you know, I'd go back to bed. Or, you know, it felt like it hit me with a two by four and knocked me out. That's because I took it personally. I would make my son's relapse about me. And, you know, how could you do this to your father and I? 
and how could you do this to your family and the shame and blah, blah, blah. And I would just try to guilt him into recovery. And it took me a long time to realize that my behavior wasn't the best and that I was part of the problem. And it took me many years to realize I could be part of the solution. So there's ways to support your children when they have a setback, because sometimes it's a little bump. They you know, might have had a drink, but they recognized it right away. They called their sponsor. They talked to you. They did the right things, and then they got back on track. And then there's other times where it's just full-blown nightmare. They're off and running. They're going fast and furious. And you just can't keep up and fear is horrible. So I thought I'd share with you some ideas of how you can support your child if they do have a setback and to try to help you have some coping skills. So one of the things, um, you can let your child be the one to seek the help. Do not try to guilt or shame your son or daughter back into treatment. However, I do feel you can use healthy boundaries I always feel, you know, give a good choice and a bad choice. If you choose to complete a treatment program, then we can discuss returning home, if returning home would be a good option, or if moving into a recovery house after treatment is a good option. But right now, we're not going to make that decision, but I'll help you look at what your options are going to be when you get to that point. And so number two would be standing firm on your boundaries and hold your child accountable for his or her recovery. Our kids, at least my son, I don't know about yours, but pretty sure they all have the same behavior. My son would go into the blame game. He'd blame people, places, and things for the relapse. And I wanted to believe him. So I'd blame people and places and things too. And I'd get angry at everybody but him. And that's a form of denial. I just, I wanted to believe my son. I wanted to believe that he couldn't lie to me. And in the end, he was an unbelievable liar and manipulator. The third thing would be to suggest that your son or daughter talk to his or her counselor, maybe from a treatment center they were in, that they call their sponsor. Hopefully, if they're in early recovery, they are working with a, resp- with a sponsor. And if they don't have those two options, then get to a support group meeting, get to an AA and NA, smart recovery, celebrate recovery, go to church, go someplace where there might be a safety net. And it's important for parents to do the same thing. Parents vibrate right back to those codependent enabling behaviors, and I I believe parents need to do the same work as they expect and want their children to do when when their children are in recovery, because parents are in recovery from being codependent and being an enabler. And so for me, that looked like eventually I got a sponsor. I went to an All Addictions Big Book step study meeting and I went through the steps as I laid out in the big book. And and then I was able to run the meetings and bring in uh, speakers and um, I could talk the talk because I was walking the walk. Then... Offer to your to help your child find support services 
and it might be, um, there might be dual diagnosis. So you might look for places that treat dual diagnosis, or you might find, you know, a, a different counselor, have two counselors, one who's a, a drug and alcohol counselor, and one is uh, for mental health, or hopefully you find somebody who can service both of those things. But don't blame yourself if your son or daughter refuses to use any of the support services that you have a discussion about. I learned the hard way, but you cannot help someone who does not want to help themselves. So all you can do, you can offer it and don't put an expectation on it. Let your son or daughter do the work. They either make the phone call or they don't. And then I believe in unconditional love. And But remember that loving your child does not mean you can should enable your child. It still means you hold him or her accountable for his or her behavior. It's refusing to allow your child and his or her addiction to power to dismantle the family because the wreckage of their addiction can certainly dismantle a family very easily and quickly. And I remember when I woke up, you know, kind of came to my senses and thought, how the hell did I wake up living in dysfunction? Like, when did that happen? But I think because I was in such denial, I was in rescue mode. I just had blinders on and I was going to do anything and everything to rescue my son. And I wasn't paying attention to the healthy people in my life. And I just wasn't paying attention to the dysfunction that was uh, showing up either. And I think it's important that you do not dismiss the relapse. Don't make excuses for your son or daughter. I think it's imperative that uh, his or her recovery is owned by them. Uh, you can discuss better coping skills. You can talk about having a recovery safety net in place so this doesn't happen again. But I think it's really important. And again, sometimes it's a bump in the roads and sometimes it's a full-blown relapse. But be prepared, you know, uh, buckle up because it's a hell of a ride when our kids are off and running and they're in active addiction. You can be supportive without enabling. Um, parents often ask why they can't have a drink in their own home. The answer is, if your child's allergic to strawberries, uh, would you have strawberries in your home? And if you answered yes, then why would you have something in your home that your child is allergic to? And I learned that from my son's counselor because she had asked me if we had alcohol in our home. And this was in 2008. And you know, I told her, I, we, we weren't uh, drinkers. And actually, my husband and I no longer drink. I think it's been about six years for me and probably 10 for him. But when we did, it was social. I had his mother's alcohol cabinet and that's where the alcohol just sat. And of course it has dust on it because I'd pull it out on Christmas Eve if we had a uh, open house or had people coming over, but, and the kids probably drank it. But so anyway, I told her, I said, you know, I have, I have this cabinet that's, that's where it is. And it only comes out if there's people that come over, you know, we're, we're social drinkers. And so she said to me, if your son was allergic to strong strawberries. Would you have strawberries in your house? And I said, absolutely not. Of course I wouldn't. And she said, well, your son is allergic to alcohol. So why would you have it in your house? That night when I went home, I got rid of everything. I didn't even have an aspirin in my house. 
I wanted to be that parent who supported my son 100% in his recovery and work in mine too from being codependent and enabling. So, and the other thing is trying to be optimistic, which is really tough when, when you're feeling helpless and hopeless. But I think it's, it's better to talk about the possibility of positive outcomes rather than being hyper-focused on the negatives or what you think is wrong or the bad things that you think your child's doing. I think it's important to role model a positive lifestyle and uh, talk about how treatment and recovery housing can help your son or daughter learn coping skills to overcome their addiction. I think one of the things as a recovery coach I learned was ask your children, what are their dreams? And if they have a plan to, to achieve them, you know, ask them open-ended questions about their recovery. They have to think about it and then come back with an answer. And, but it allows them to maybe put their dreams in place and start taking action. And don't dismiss the problem. In other words, don't make excuses because it really is important that your kids own their behavior. When, when I was living through the ups and downs of my son's recovery, it, it just, his relapses was never his fault. He had amazing stories. And it was interesting because they were believable. I wanted to believe them. It'd be that little gut going, uh-uh, don't do it, don't believe it. But man, he was convincing and it all made sense. So denial is a beautiful thing. I went into denial. I believed him. Don't get discouraged when your child has a setback. It's, I think it's part of the journey. It doesn't mean that their times and treatment didn't work. It's as simple as they were unable to implement the tools and the coping skills that they learned. Perfection takes practice. Recovery is a lot of work. It's important to understand that your child's recovery is their full-time job. It's their number one job. It becomes before anything. You know, my son talks about this, that his recovery is number one. He has a six-month-old baby. He's a zero. His wife is a zero. His homes are zeros. His businesses is zeros. Zero plus zero equals zero, but one plus zero equals one. So as long as his recovery is first and foremost, he can be present for his beautiful boy. He can be present for his beautiful wife. He can run a business. He can do all the things that he wants and be the entrepreneur that he's grooming himself to be because his recovery is first and foremost. And I think that's important to understand that that has to come first. Our kids have to work at this 24-7 for the rest of their lives because addiction is not curable, it's treatable. I think it's important as parents that we're the example of what healthy living is. So live your life great. I learned that role modeling a healthy lifestyle is much easier on my heart and my emotions than participating in the toxicity of my child's active addiction. And so for me, the way I did that, two years before my son found his recovery, I got to a point where I couldn't breathe. I was isolating. I couldn't go to work. I, I wasn't present for the people who were present for me. My life was becoming unmanageable and I was irritable, restless, and discontent. And so I got to a point where I hit my enough 
I don't believe in rock bottoms. I, I think be careful what you wish for. I would rather say I hope you hit, your child hits there enough before they hit their bottom because not everybody comes back from a bottom. But I learned that I had to change because things will change when one person in the triangle or in the circle changes. And I was that one person that had to change because I was the chief enabler. And so I started on a different path. I, I went to Al-Anon, but I was in denial that my child wasn't like their kids. So I really um, didn't go back because of that. And I wanted the answer. Give me the answer so I can go save my son and you guys can sit and do your thing, but I'm moving on. So long and the short of it is my ego was in the way. And... So I went on a spiritual journey. I ended up having Reiki done because I hadn't, I don't, couldn't have told you the last time I had laughed or smiled or, or felt happy. My heart was so uh, broken. And I ended up having a Reiki session and that was a great tool for me. It was the first time in a long time that I had a little um, happiness in my heart and I wanted more because it felt good because I had, had felt so bad for so many years. And so I went on a search and to find somebody who would teach me Reiki. And I ended up becoming a Reiki master. And I practiced for years. I still do it on me. And occasionally I'll do it on somebody who asks me to. And then I started like watching the movie The Secret. I was turned on to that. And I think it was like 2006. And, and I thought that was amazing. I didn't know those things. If you think positive, positive things will happen. So I learned to change my language. So instead of saying, I don't want my son to use drugs. I don't want my son to be homeless. I don't want this. I don't want that. I changed my language. I started to talk about what I want. I started to talk about, I want my son to be healthy and happy. I want my son to be a productive, functioning adult. And I started to write a gratitude journal. And I wrote about the little things I was grateful for. Because in the beginning, I, didn't, I, I wasn't feeling grateful about anything. But I made myself look at something. So I'd wake up and go, okay, I'm grateful that I opened my eyes today. I'm, gr I'm grateful that I have a bed to sleep in all day long because I can't get out of it. Yeah, those are the things that I started to change. And as I continued to do that, I started to feel grateful. I start, my life started to change. Things started to get better. I felt like I was healing. I was able to start to move forward. I was able to start to model living my life in a healthy way. And as I did that, life just got better. And he started to come around. When I stopped chasing my son around, when I stopped talking at him and pressuring him and asking him all kinds of questions and even answering questions for him, I probably did that too. It just got better and he started to seek me out. He started to say, hey, mom, you want to watch a movie with me? Or can I read that book that, you know, uh, one of the books, he loves it. You Can Heal Your Heart by Louise Hay. That's one of the books that helped him get sober. He took that to his last rehab and, and to this day, he still practices positive affirmations. It's just taking what works and what feels good and putting it into practice and getting out of my head because my head can be my hell. So if I start being Donna Downer, I have to recognize that and say, uh-uh, not going there. We're going to talk about positive things today. We're going to talk about healthy, happy things. And if I can't get out of my head, I go and I put on Insight Timer 
It's I-N-S-I-G-H-T-I-M-E-R.com. And it's a meditation app and it's wonderful. And they have ones for recovery. They have ones for anxiety, for sleeping, because parents don't sleep in these trying times of their children in active addiction and when they don't know where they are. So I meditated, I journaled, I did a journal, uh, a gratitude journal in the morning, and I did a journal about what the day looked like, what his behavior was, what my behavior was. And unbeknownst to me, I was setting myself up to see myself, to see that I was part of the problem. And when I saw that, I could turn things around so that I could learn to be part of the solution. And so I work on myself every day, and, um, but I'm learning to live without uh, judgment and more of acceptance, and it's, it's hard work. And for everybody who is dealing with their child who's in active addiction, you know, this is hard work too, and it's baby steps, just like your kids. It's baby steps for them to get into recovery. It's baby steps for us to find our own recovery from codependency and enabling. But I can tell you this, if you do the work, it's worth it. You'll feel better, you'll, you'll live better, and hopefully your son or daughter will want what you have and will start seeking you out and asking for help and will find their way into long-term recovery and living a healthy, happy life. So I would like to say that a blessing can be a curse and a curse can be a blessing. The curse of addiction almost destroyed my son, my family, and me. But in the end, the blessings are my son is living a, a fabulous life. He has a beautiful wife, a, a gorgeous little six-month-old baby boy. He's an entrepreneur. He's happy. He's at peace. We have all restored our health. We regained our sanity. We've rebuilt our relationship and we're stronger than ever. And my prayers that it, this all happens for you too. But um, the bottom line is take care of yourself because you can't rescue somebody who doesn't want to be rescued. So I want to thank you for joining Addiction in My Family. If you're looking for support, I am a parent support coach. You can visit www.parentssharingwithoutshame.com or you can email me at Donna at DonnaForSupport.com and that's the number four. And until next time, may your faith and strength heal your heart. Thank you for listening today. If you want to support the Addiction in My Family podcast, please subscribe, share, and leave a review on iTunes. If you are in need of support, Donna offers private coaching sessions and an online membership page for parents who are emotionally bankrupt. For more information, visit www.donnaforsupport.com.